0: I'd like to share that. When I was a young father, a young man, I remember taking my family to the Christian cinema one time, and they had played Christian movies, they had a short on there before from a guy by the name of James Dobson, uh, a Christian teacher who taught on a lot on raising children as well as other things, and taught a lot of good things, but he said something that night in the film that I watched that just completely bewildered and, and and upset me, and and I'll never forget it. And I was, and ever since then, I've been against that mindset. Uh, not against him, but against that that. what he's that statement that he made, and the statement that he made was based on Proverbs, uh, where in the book of Proverbs it says, "Train up a child." in the way they go, and when they are old, it won't depart from them. And James Dobson's comment on that was, that's not a promise, that's a probability. You remember that, Kate? You remember hearing that? I remember when I heard that, I was astonished and horrified. He says, "That's that doesn't mean your children will be saved, that's just a probability that they'll be saved. Now, God's Word has become, been reduced to probability, a matter of chance, a matter of maybe, maybe it will or maybe it won't. And so today, I'd like to talk about, not only about our children, but all those who are praying for or hoping for to be saved, that God brings into our life. And so I'd like to just focus on that today for a little bit. I have met a great many Christians, and I was certainly one of them, who have had a lot of anxiety about my loved ones to be saved, and my children, and, and others that, God, that have come close to me to be saved. And yet Jesus told us not to be anxious about anything. In Philippians chapter four, it says, "Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, the prayer request let your let your prayer and supplication let your request be known to God, and God's peace will come upon us." But how can God's peace come upon us? If we're not sure that God will answer our prayers for our loved ones, for our children, for our spouse will be a ball of anxiety and it will undermine our faith in God. The Bible says in the last days because wickedness would abound that the love of many would grow cold. We live in a wicked world. We're raising our children in wicked generations. In a Sodom and Gomorrah world. And so... And Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door be opened to you. But somehow people don't seem to believe it has to do with the souls of men. And I guess it makes you wonder why they would why people would come to that conclusion. Because it doesn't actually say, you know, in the Bible, that if you pray for your children, they'll be saved. Those words are not in there. But there's certainly plenty of things in the Word of God that we can put our trust in God. Not only for children and loved ones, but people that God brings into our life to be saved. And so... I'd like to uh, take a minute. I sent an article out to some of you, not to everybody. If you didn't receive this article and want it, I can send it to you if the church let me know. It's an article about a brother from a couple centuries ago. His name, of course, George Mueller. I've referred to him many times. But in preparing for this, I actually wasn't planning on it, but I was listening to a, a sermon from a, a book from Andrew Murray, and he referred to George Mueller, and he was talking about all the people that George Mueller prayed about that, that to be saved and were saved. And he gave a number, and I thought he didn't hear it right. And it was like, and I played it back several times. And I, you know, I couldn't hear it. And so I actually looked it up online, and this article came up. And I'll just read excerpts from this article, not the whole article. It says, if you haven't read this article, please do. It will change the way you pray for the lost. God gave the Apostle Paul in his prayer life as an example for Christians of all time. In a similar way, he has given modern-day Christians the example of George Mueller as proof to his church that he still hears prayer. Mr. Mueller started 117 schools, educated 120,000 children, and raised in today's terms the equivalent of a billion pounds, that's about over $2 in American money, without ever expressing a need to a human being or ever being in debt. It was all accomplished through prayer. Mr. Mueller also believed that more than 30,000 souls came to know Christ in answers to prayer. These didn't include only orphans, but also many others for whom he prayed faithfully every day, in some cases for more than 50 years. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals, Mr. Mueller said. I prayed every single, every day without a single intermission. Eighteen months passed before the first was saved. Five, year, five years went by, then the second was converted. Six years passed before the third was converted. The last two remained unconverted. Pastor Charles R. Parsons, in an hour interview with George Mueller towards the close of his life, asked him if he spent much time on his knees. And Mueller answered, I have been praying every day for 52 years for two men, sons of a friend of my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. How can it be otherwise? Mr. Mueller not only prayed for the conversion of lost souls, he prayed in firm faith, confident they would be saved. When he asked on what ground he so firmly believed this, his answer was, There are five conditions which I always endeavor to fulfill in observing what I have the assurance of pray- answer to my prayer. Number one, I have not the least doubt because I am assured that it is the Lord's will to save them. For he wills that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. as 1 Timothy 2.4. And we have the assurance that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Number two, I have never pleaded for their salvation in my own name, but in the blessed name of my Lord Jesus, on his merits alone. Number three, I always firmly believed in the willingness of God to hear my prayers. Mark 11:24. I am not conscious of having yielded to any sin. If I regard, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me when I call. Psalm 66. Number five, I have persevered in believing prayer for more than 52 years for some and shall continue till the answer comes. And he, he talks about the persistent widow from Luke 18. And then, it, then the writer of the article says, Mr. Mueller went to heaven praying firmly in faith, thanking God in advance for the salvation of those he was praying. Within months of his praying, the last friend on his prayer list was converted. It was talking about the five men that he prayed, five people he prayed to for 52 years. Well, the last one of them was converted within months of his death, after his death. So, there's more to the article. So I won't read. There is another, another article I sent out to a few, not to everybody. And it was based on a book called 50,000 Answers to Prayer. George Muller's book where he... It's excerpts from 50,000 prayers that God answered. Sometimes uh, within hours or, or the same day he prayed. But he, he journaled. He wrote them all down. 50,000 over the course of of his Christian life 70 some years. And he wrote them down for people to see. And there's in a book there's excerpts of his 50,000 journals of answers to prayer. It's hard to believe. Now why did George write all these down? Why did he do the things that he do? Why did he refuse to ask anybody for money for for all these this work he was doing for missions and for orphanages? From the very beginning of his ministry, God made it clear to him through talking to other Christians that a lot of Christians were in despair. They were in despair concerning being able to have their needs met. They were in despair concerning the salvation of, of lost loved ones, of, of their children being lost, of their spouse being lost, of you know others, their parents or grandchildren or so, and, and people that God brought into their life. They were in despair about it. They have put a white flag up in their front yard concerning, given in to the enemy, concerning this doubt and unbelief, concerning people that we were hoping to be saved. And it's not from God. We have to come to the place of seeing. This mindset is not from God. And we have come across this mindset that You know, well if God saves my children they will. If they don't, they don't. You know, just like you know It's like going to the you know, to the play the lottery. Maybe I'll hit the lottery, maybe I won't. Maybe God will answer my prayer, maybe I won't. Yet the Bible says the promises of God are not yes and no. But they are yes in Christ and amen to the glory of God. I can also send you that other article on the 50,000 Answers to Prayer that are journaled by uh, George Miller. In that article, it mentions that God will have, from First Timothy chapter 2, God desires all to be saved and to come to repentance and come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want any to perish. We read in Second Peter chapter 3, we just read that last week. The reason why His judgment hasn't come yet is because he, He's giving people an opportunity to be saved. God doesn't want anybody to perish but all to come to Repentance. Now we'll say, well, then we. does that mean if we pray for everybody to be saved, that everybody in the world will be saved? Well, we know from the Word of God that the majority will be lost. And that's the fact. Broad is the way, and many go down the broad road that leads to destruction. Straight and narrow is the road that goes to eternal life, and few there be that find it. So how do we resolve all this? because God puts people into our life he gives us children he, he we have a we have if we have a spouse we if we have loved ones if we have people that in the ministry that God has brought into our life that God has given us a ministry of intercession Jesus ministry on this earth was a life of intercession for his disciples Simon Simon Satan is desired of, to sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith will not fail. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter was not yet converted. And he was exposed later on, denied Christ later. He was not yet converted. Jesus was praying for an unconverted man. So, for everybody who says, and I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says we can pray for lost people to be saved. Well, Jesus was doing it. Jesus prayed for his disciples in his, in his prayer in, in the Gospel of John, where he prayed for his disciples, a long prayer. He was praying for his disciples. They were not yet converted. They all abandoned him when he was arrested. They were not yet converted. And they were still in unbelief. Their eyes had not yet been opened to the Scriptures. He was praying for this, those he was making disciples that were not yet converted. They need to be changed. They need to be born again. That hadn't happened yet. But Jesus is praying for them, interceding for them. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, it says in Romans chapter 8, and he's still praying, interceding for us. God has given to us a ministry of praying for others. If we're following Jesus' footsteps, who are following the life of Christ? We're praying for those that God has in our life. It's one of the most powerful acts of faith that we can that we can uh, that we can do. It's a great express expression of faith to pray for to pray in faith to pray the prayer of faith. <clears>
1: hmm. <throat>
0: Jesus said to love your enemies. To pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you. So what are we going to pray for our persecutors for? That they have a nice day? What should we pray for our enemies for? Those that are using us and persecuting us. I guess there's an assumption in there, if they're on that road, that they're not saved. What's the most important thing that we can pray for them, for them? that, they might be saved? Saul of Tarsus was the enemy of the church in Book of Acts, and Saul of Tarsus was converted as the enemy of the church. Could it be that there were Christians who were praying for him? You ever think about that? That it was a response to Christians praying for Saul of Tarsus as one of the that God opened. The, that was one of the things that God was responding to and saving. People look at their grown-up children or teenage children, their adult children, and they say, well, boy, <clears throat> they have—they don't seem like they have any interest in God. Or they don't seem like they're going down the right road. Some of them might be religious, but they don't seem to be really in tune with the Holy Spirit. You know, they some seem to be lukewarm. Well, I'll ask you this question. Does Saul of Tarsus look like a good candidate to be saved? A murderer? A persecutor of the church? Imprisoning Christians? Breathing out slaughter against the church of God? Does this look like a man who had potential to be saved? People are saved by the power of God, according to the will of God. It says in the book of Acts that God opened Lydia's heart to take heed to the things that Paul was preaching and she was saved. It's an act of God. It's not depending on us saying and doing everything right. God uses that. We do our part, yes. But God saves through the blood of Jesus. You say, well, if God does that, well, what part do we have that? The Bible says if we ask anything according to the will of God, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that He asks of us. God's not willing that any should perish. It is God's will. God doesn't want our children to perish. He doesn't want our loved ones to perish, our spouse, unbelieving spouse to perish. He doesn't want any to perish. So if we pray for someone to be saved, we're praying according to the will of God. How can we not see that? It is according to the will of God for people to be saved. Christ died for all, and he wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and to repent and to be saved. So we go from here to the book of Ezekiel chapter 22 of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter 22. Now this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. God speaking to Ezekiel about the corruption in Israel and in Judah, and this is what he says in verse 29. Ezekiel 22, 29. The people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I have found none, no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, I have repaid their deeds on their own head," says the Lord God. Now, as strange as this may seem to you, God is seeking for intercessors. And in God, in, in the time of Ezekiel, God was saying, "I was seeking for people to pray and to stand, someone to stand in the gap for all those who are doing all these evil things. I wouldn't judge them. I wouldn't bring my judgment on them." Yes. God loves the sinner. And He's made it very clear in both the Old and the New Testament. He loves the sinner. And He doesn't want to bring judgment against them. And He says it right here, but because no one interceded for them, they perish. So you mean to tell me that God has given us a ministry by which we can interfere in a person's life for their good? Yes. Our neighbor's welfare is our business. Yes. That we can interfere for the good of those that people may be saved in response in response to our prayers. Can't help it if you don't believe it. This is, there was a man of 200 years ago I read his testimony. And from every, I've read a lot of books from that man. And he seems like, you know, I never met the man personally, but he seemed like a man of great integrity. And he, he claimed that God answered over 30,000 30, answers to prayer for people to be saved. You know, he, is he fibbing? Is he embellishing that? Is he telling a I don't think so. I mean, that's up to your discretion. But we can interfere for the good and the well-being and the salvation of others, including our own children. How can we be not be anxious if we're not assured that God will hear our prayers concerning our children. I talked to a young mother not too long ago, who was in that mindset. She's saying, "Yeah, we're doing everything we can to teach them what's right, but you know, we really don't have assur- any assurance from God that they'll be saved from His Word." It's like, here it is again. This thing keeps on showing up. This mindset keeps on showing up. We've got to fight against it. We have to fight against such a mindset of negativity. Can can we not be anxious about anything? If we were to think that, you know, that God isn't going to hear our prayers concerning those that are dear to our heart, and and then not be anxious about it, the children of Israel fell into that trap. They feared for the safety of their children to the point where they rebelled against God. They wouldn't go into the Promised Land. Oh no. If we go in there, our children will be a prey to those giants, all those fortresses, all those mighty armies, blah, blah, blah. Unbelief. They never entered God's rest. That's a fact. They never entered God's rest. They never had peace in their hearts. How do we get peace in our hearts concerning our children? We must believe God concerning our children, concerning our loved ones, concerning, I keep on saying it over and over again, those who God has in our life. Those who are near and dear to us are those who God just brings into our life. A ministry of intercession. It's one of the most powerful acts of faith that we can have. This is the ministry. I I spent some time in Pentecostalism and ministry was all this, the flashy miracles. You know? And and God's going to do this and God's going to do all this in your life. And, And there's all this flash and shiny toys and everything. Well, sure, those spiritual spiritual gifts are in the Word of God. Yes, I don't doubt that. But let's also understand the ministry that God has given to every believer to pray. To pray for those who are in darkness and to pray for the children of God that are in our life. To pray. Because God doesn't want any to perish. He desires all men to be saved. That's His desire. And we have a part. Not just in the preaching. People say, oh, if I preach here and there, people will be saved. But you better pray first. The Apostle Paul said, pray that God will open a door for the Word. In other places he said, an effectual door has been opened, and there are many adversaries. Paul understood spiritual warfare, and the power of prayer in the preaching of the gospel. But he also understood that he must pray for people to be saved. People that he knew, people that he didn't know, that God would make a door for people to hear the word and be saved. It's crucial. And the fact is, if we would be honest about it, at this present time, I don't know about you, but we're not really seeing a lot of people being saved right now. What's wrong? We see some, but we don't see it like in the book of Acts. God was adding daily those who are being saved to the church. I think there needs to be a, a rededication a recommitment and a revival in the vision that God wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The heart of evangelism. The death of the death of prayer is selfishness. We're wrapped up in our own little world, doing our own little thing and our own little hobbies and our own little activities, and we don't have time for the ministry of God. What are we doing? You know, I know there's a lot of distractions and a lot of things that pull us here and there. Do we want to see people be saved? So we want God to answer our prayers concerning, you know, those that God has in <clears> our
1: <throat>
0: The Gospel of Mark chapter I'm gonna zoom through some of these, you wanna follow me? Mark chapter eleven. verse 22 have faith in God Jesus answered and said to them have faith in God for surely I say to whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes those things he says will be done he will have whatever he says therefore I say to you whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now some will say, well, that's just talking about things. It says whatever things you ask. For. It's hard to fight against a hard heart. I can tell you that. Hear what God's saying here. If you have ears to hear, hear what God is saying here. Have faith in God. Whatsoever things you pray, Believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. This is what George Mueller referred to when he's talking about praying all those years. And and one of the things he said that he he was relo- he was standing on was this scripture here: "Whatsoever things you ask for in prayer, believing that you will receive them, and you shall have them." This is not positive confession of Norman Vincent Peale. This is not naming and claiming. This is faith in God and acting upon it. Jesus says, and does not doubt in his heart. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. There are a lot of cautions and things to balance us out. But let's not use those cautions and balances to cancel out what we're reading here. What Jesus is saying here. To neuter what's being said here. Believing that we will receive what we pray for, and we shall have it. The foundation of our faith is in the blood of Jesus, and the cross that Jesus died for us. And we build on that faith to live by faith in our life. And this is it. We're looking at it right here. That God has promised. This is a promise of God. This is not a probability. Well, it doesn't actually say, well, your children or your loved ones or your, you know, people that are not saved. Whatever you ask for in prayer. But believe that when he says will be done, that does not doubt in his heart. You know? You decide. Hmm. John chapter 14. (laughs) Verse
1: 12.
0: John 14.12 Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I will do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, does that mean whatever? If you ask anything in my name, does that mean anything? Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. According to the will of God. And we know it's God's will. that all should be saved. We know that God has those desires all to be saved. And the desire of our hearts is the desire of God's heart then. To see those be- people being saved. Is it some coincidence, some accident, that a man writes a journal in which he claims that over 30,000 people were saved through his prayers? Is that a coincidence that all those people were saved? (laughs) That the Father might be glorified in the Son. Ask what you will we believe in Him. Ask what we will, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 16 23 And in that day you will ask me nothing, but surely I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. This is all connected to faith in Christ and what He did on the cross and believing the message of the gospel, the power of God, and the message of the cross. We read that earlier. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do. He will give you. He will give you whatever. You ask in the Father's name. Does that not mean for lost souls that are in our life? Our teenagers are rebellious, or you know, my my son or my daughter is there. You know, not all my children are yet following the Lord. You say, Well, why are you preaching something like this? Because I believe that before they leave this life they will be. I am I am putting my faith in God that they will be. And if you can look at some of them right now and say, like, Oh, we'll look at that! ah, yeah. And I just say that of Tarsus. breathing slaughter on the church—that anyone, that anyone, think that he would be an apostle. <laughs> the disciples in Jerusalem didn't think that. When Barnabas brought him, they were afraid. They wouldn't. They—they—they they, they were afraid to let him come in until Barnabas talked them into it. And, and and talked to them and testified of, of the ministry of Saul of Tarsus. And when he that he was truly converted. They thought it was a trap. They didn't believe it. But God can reach out to the darkest of men. A Satanist. A drunkard. Many others they said that Many of the people that Jesus drew to them were the were considered the lowest in society. The tax collector, the prostitute, the drunkard. Why is he eating with these people? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of God. Pray for those who are in darkness. Pray for those who have backslidden. Shall God say something like this? Whatever you ask in the Father in my name, He will give you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The Father loves us. He goes on to say, because He loves us and He wants our joy to be full. So I've been praying nothing happened. Well, (coughs) to you I'll say if you were in that unbelief and you've given up or just thrown your hands up like many have, I'll say to you this. You need to hang in there. The Bible says you have a need of patience that after you've done the will of God, and the will of God is to believe on the one who God has sent. If after you've done the will of God concerning all this, you have a need of patience, it says, that you will receive what's promised. And there are people who have received what is promised. I have personally known people who prayed for their children and every one of them came to the point of salvation and of saved. Believe it or not. If if we are anxious about our loved ones, if we're anxious for those, even those that are late in life, I have a dear brother who said to me, his wife, They're late in life. And he says, my wife isn't saved. Maybe she's just going to be one of those ones that aren't the uh, elect. God's elect. Surrender. The man surrendered. Brother surrendered. It's a brother, I challenge him. God can still save me. At this late in life, after all these years, if you believe God for it, Unbelief First Corinthians chapter seven verse fourteen. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. I want to talk about the word sanctified or holy. It's both words are used there, meaning the same thing. The word sanctified means set apart. Set apart is special. We looked at the children of Israel when God was bringing all those plagues on Egypt. It says they were... They were set apart. Judgment wasn't brought upon them like it was brought upon the rest of Egypt. They were set apart. They were special. And God said, Then then Pharaoh and the Egyptians shall know that I make a difference between the Egyptians and, and and the children of Israel. There is a similar dynamic going on here that goes on in the family. That's through one believing parent Not only is the spouse set apart, but the children are set apart. They are special in God's eyes. And so, there is another nail in the coffin to those who don't believe that God will hear us concerning our children, concerning our spouse. They are set apart. They are special. They are sanctified by one believing partner in a marriage. One believing parent. Not two, but one. If you got two, how much more shall we have confidence? It is a matter of confidence concerning those who God has in our life. Confidence. And then there's the wringing of hands. And then there's the, the words of doubt and unbelief. And all the intellectualism and human reasoning to undo these scriptures. The things that we read in here. And just warn us against it war myself and others against it. To fight against such human reasoning, carnal reasoning. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. And now we see where the fight is. To fight against all that negativity. To fight against the naysayers. To fight against the spirit of unbelief that's in Christendom. Because it is in Christendom. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? What was he talking about? It was the parable of the persistent widow who had to keep on coming and coming and coming until the judge finally gave her what she wanted. Jesus said it was a prayer about we should pray always and not give up. Because some give up. And they don't receive the answer to their prayers because they give up. And Jesus said, Here this parable. And he says, but when the son of man returns, shall he find faith on earth? Faith on earth, faith like this. A persistent faith where you don't give up. We don't run away and cower And the voice of negativity and embrace noise the voices of negativity. And unbelief. And a hardened heart. We read the story, I don't have time for, I'm just going to sum everything up. You read the story about Aaron and Moses when a plague began on the children of Israel because of their rebellion. Because they they rose up against Moses and Aaron. And a plague began. And God told, Moses told Aaron, He says, take the censer of incense that's on the altar, He says, and take it, and go out and offer incense before the Lord. He says, because God's plague has already broken out. And so Aaron took the censer from off the altar, and he began offering incense. It says he stood, he stood out in the middle where the plague was, and it says he offered incense to the Lord. And the plague stopped where Aaron was. And it says that Aaron stood between the living and the dead. There's a message in that again and again. It's all over the scriptures. That we can interfere for good and for the salvation of those whose God's judgment is coming to. And God's judgment is real and it is coming, interceding for those in darkness. Aaron stood between the living and the dead, and the plague was stopped. God responded. To the priest Aaron, in the book of Revelation, it says that God has made us to be a, a, a kings and priests unto our God. We are. The Bible says in in Peter's letter that we are a royal priesthood. A priest stands between, in the gap to see The New Testament priesthood of the believer. Stand between the dead and the living to, to those that are struggling, we have a great inter- pray, uh, ministry of intercession that every Christian is called to, for none. Open up your eyes. Open up our eyes and we see the message that the Holy Spirit has in His Word concerning
1: how we should be redeeming our time,
0: making the best of our time. Don't give up. If you've given up, come back. Come back to the place of faith in God. <coughs> Psalm one oh two. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants established before you. Psalm 103, the mercy of the Lord is to children's children. Proverbs 20, verse 7, righteous man walks in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. Abraham interceded for his nephew, Lot. Because God said He was going to, He knew that God was bringing judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read about how last week about how He interceded through, and it was because He was concerned about His nephew. He didn't actually bring him up, but He was concerned about His nephew Lot and His family. And after God brings, after God brings Lot, the angels bring Lot and His family out. And, so, and Abraham looks and sees that the next morning he sees that Sodom and Gomorrah burning. It says, God remembered Lot because of Abraham. Those words are in the book of Genesis. God remembered Lot because of Abraham. You look, You can look it up. God responded to Abraham's prayer concerning his nephew Lot. And you could see how even we talked last week about how Lot was dragging his feet and then the angels took him, pulled him out of the city. Because God was merciful. Not only did God love Lot, but he was also responding to Abraham's prayer. His intercession. When he spoke to God, the Lord face to face. Reading the book
1: again. Not <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Just check in to make sure.